Hey, what's up? It's Alex Morgan. And for me, the start of the new year is all about committing to you from day one. Body Armor's got you and here to help you commit to your fitness goals. Buy any Body Armor products at your local store and Body Armor will give you 50% cash back to put towards your fitness journey. Now through March 31st, commit to fit with Body Armor Sports Drink. Visit www.bacommittofit.com for full rules. And shop now at retailers nationwide. Our first guest joining us on Big Blend Radio today for our day two of our Celebrate the Arts and Music show or festival, five-day festival, um, is thriller and mystery author, screenwriter, actor, and improv comedian August Norman, and he is joining us to talk about the second novel of his Caitlin Bergen mystery series. It's called Sins of the Mother, a Caitlin Bergen novel, and it comes out September 8th, 2020 through Crooked Lane. Now, I love that name. Crooked Lane. Yeah, that's cool. I Mm. know. I could live on Crooked Lane. Wonder what's behind Uh, that. I know. I know. And (laughs) so Caitlin came to be uh, through his uh, first novel, Come and Get Me. And I think there's some other backstories with Caitlin. So we're going to chat about her. And uh, I encourage everyone to go to August's website, which is augustnorman.com. But welcome, August. How are you doing? Thanks so much for having me, Lisa and Nancy. Uh, I'm doing great. Can you, can you hear me all the way from Los Angeles? Is everything coming through all right? Yeah, yes. you're doing good. I mean, you're stretching all across the country from Tampa, Florida oh, well. to L.A., um, and that's great. And um, we're very excited because your book deals with cults. I get excited about that. But then you've also got the white supremacy, and that's something we're dealing with in this country still. So that's right on target of what's going on in the world. And we still have cults, right? And I know, Nancy, you've been reading uh, the, the story right now, Sins of the Mother, and you're my mother, so <laughs> are you enjoying it, Nancy? I'm going to join a cult. <laughs> I, no, it's really well written and very, I mean, it's a page turner for sure. And I like mm. that kind of book. You know, I don't want to mm-hmm. um, fall asleep while I'm reading, you know. So I like those books that, like, you stay up all night and you read it. In one to two days, as fast as possible. <laughs> and then when yeah, you finish, you're like, oh, no, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, or even on the beach when, when we're allowed to travel. Those, those of us who are near beaches, uh, it, it, hopefully it's a beach read, you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a fun story that, yeah, I got to create my own religion and no one anywhere should follow it. Um, but I got, to, <laughs> I got to delve deep into that world of cults cognitive dissonance and and that whole idea of like how do people believe these things and 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 reasonable people everyday people like what would it take me to end up in a cult and and that's the kind of book i wanted to write uh at the same time it's very much an exploration of family um my wife and i recently uh began our own family with our first child uh and congratulations thank you very much you know what a wonderful time to have a baby uh, yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> Put a mask on your but, baby, yeah. quick. Oh yes, uh, no one, no one has actually touched our baby besides the pediatrician and ourselves at this point. Wow. Um, but mm. uh, so th- this is kind of both an exploration, an exploration of, of the families we're born into and the families we choose, and and cults are, are simply uh, just families of another sort, as well as white supremacy groups. 
They're all sort of mm. that same that same mentality of a tribalism. Right. You know, that's, this white supremacist, like the KKK, hmm. you know, if you think about that, I think that is a cult. I mean, it is. Oh, yeah, in it definitely way. involves mental programming in a way. It, you know, it starts from a, a depending on, you know, I grew up in Indiana, and uh, it, which had its own history of the KKK, despite being a, a northern state during the Civil War. Um, the KKK spread there in the, the 20s, of all things, in the second resurgence of the KKK. Um, to take on uh, the Catholicism, um, so it's a it's such a weird organization, uh, but that mentality that superiority is just something a that bothers me uh, inherently, and b that uh, that does have that same cult like fanaticism that we refuse to believe basic principles or we refuse to acknowledge other people's humanity or equality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's egocentric, but I mean, the first thing that came, when I'm reading the book, um, your book, the first thing that came to mind was the Manson family. Um, right. Charlie Manson, I mean, I don't understand. There's not one part of me that understands anyone who would follow a person like that. I, I mean, it. Yeah, well, it, it I would run what? the other way so fast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I agree, um, but of course, like, you know, I, I, I moved to Hollywood when I was 21, and Los Angeles, Southern California in general, has, like many serial killers, uh, many cults uh, began their lives in Southern California. And a lot of that has to do with, with this, this population of people from around the world who come to a big city in order to become unique in some way, either to make it huge in real estate or law or uh, in the entertainment industry. And often these people arrive at a place and find themselves not unique in any way, um, mm. but, but still looking for that. And, I mean, you know, who in our teams didn't want to fit into a clique? And so like, like a white supremacy organization, cults and cult leaders tend to – well, and even like major religions, nothing against them. I consider myself a person of a major religion. Um, but there, there's that extremism that, that finds these people looking for definition – and defines them with something easy and empowering on the way in. If no one's hearing your voice, we hear your voice. And if no one's telling you you're special, we'll tell you you're special. And it's the same way almost in abusive relationships. It's that same dynamic of like just that one moment of sunshine is enough for some people to stick around despite the rest of the cloudy, stormy days. Um, mm. And so, so cult leaders in particular, uh, a lot of research, you know, I, obviously, we're talking about this with a fascination and almost a fun tone in, in, in our voices. Mm-hmm. But obviously, the real damage that cults do um, is is horrible. And if people make make it out alive, they not only have lost friends and family, but they also have to go through years of psychoanalysis, hopefully, and therapy to 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 find out to come out the other side. Um, but again, like. Could 21-year-old me, having not found a group of friends, easily walked into uh, not to name any organizations that may still exist by name uh, that are very litigious, but there are certain organizations that ran theaters and had open casting calls, and every actor who came to town would be like, oh, they're casting. Maybe I'll get a part in this. And that theater was a direct funnel into a very large and well-known cult-like organization. 
Oh, I and, know who you're talking about. The theaters exactly. are going to get we're us. Prob- <laughs> we're, <laughs> probably, we're, yeah, we're probably not going to name them because we don't want to be sued. Um, <laughs> but but it's, it's, and it, and a group like that, uh, that group generally works on a level. I have friends who have been in that group and have come out the other mm. side. And mm. what that group offered them was a home, a, a place to feel empowered and unique. A lot of the tenets of their teachings are the same that come through um, psychoanalysis or a therapy, uh, which, even though they rail against the concept, um, but is that idea of don't take no for an answer. You are unique and purposeful, and you have this special purpose. And so it's not until you get two years in and a certain amount of money where they're like, oh, also – Aliens may have detonated some nuclear weapons, and then evil spirits float around the world and attach them to you, and then you clear them off um, by telling us your deepest, darkest secrets, which we record. You know, so um, and in no way will we manipulate you. Um, so it's <laughs> it, it's sometimes very much a slippery slope. In, in the case of sins of the mother, uh, the cult I've created is an amalgam of several organizations. Um, hmm. That um, they existed. Uh, there are touches of the Manson family, though not with the racial uh, aspect, but definitely hmm. that idea of like a guru in Southern California yeah. finds mm-hmm. people who, who, with money and time, and uh, and in, indulges them. There, um, yeah, it's a. Uh, it, it's not until um, in my particular case of my story, and I don't want to give away too much. Um, but other than there, there is a, a woman who um, this man sort of preys upon because she has a fair amount of money, which allows everyone else to join the cult without giving money necessarily. Uh, so that these yeah. people are thinking they're having this amazing time uh, and they're not really giving up the things that normally you would say, hey, wait, that's a red flag. Uh, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's not until this woman names a date that the world's supposed to end that the cult really has any problems. Um, and that's, that's the other type of cult that, that is fascinating to me, obviously. And again, anytime someone says, hey, the world's going to end specifically on this day, uh, most of us would say, okay, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, um, but let alone yeah. the idea of what happens when that day comes and goes and you're still there. Uh, which, which is, yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, well, I was just thinking back to when we lived in South Africa, there was a day everybody was supposed to go stand on their roofs. Remember that, Lisa? Yeah, well, that that's a religion, a specific religion that does think that every four years um, the world is going to end at this point. Yeah. And, and it's it kind of close to a very big religion where people went west for it. It's very close uh-huh. to that one. <laughs> And, uh, you know, they've got a lot of power of crossing the country. And, and, you know, I don't mean any disrespect at all, but um, it's close to that. And then they think, oh, the world's going to end. They they sell their business. And I wonder why, because you can't take your money with you, but they do. They sell their businesses and they Mm -hmm. get up on the roof and wait to kind of beam up or something. And then it doesn't happen. You know, remember we had a vet, one of our vets. Exactly. our animal vets, you know, did that, and we went to take the dogs right. in, and the vets on the roof, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, crazy, <laughs> crazy <laughs> stuff. But, well, I think the religion well, so, thing, yeah. it's, I, I look at AA, 
and go, okay, AA has to have religion. And I'm not going to be mean about AA because I think people do have to have this faith and belief in something else that's a greater power. But I, I look at that and wonder, I don't know, why do, why do we have to have a 12-step program that has religion in it? Uh-oh, did I say that? Uh-oh. Am I going to get in trouble? <laughs> yes. Well, I, I think, and, and, uh, and I think tenants Uh-oh. of AA will, will I think, I think uh, members of AA will say they no longer push that as much. I think they just say a higher power, that higher power can be your own spirituality. Um, so I, I know exactly what you're saying. Um, but, but this mental programming is part of our lives. It's part of our society. It's only when it's, you know, when it's dangerous to you that it becomes mm. Uh, an issue. I mean, if, if not to in any way generalize things, but if you want to look at, say, how you train an 18-year-old, uh, an 18-year-old to become a soldier, there's mental programming involved, and it has to do with a little bit Absolutely. of demonization of the enemy. And so, really, uh, you know, all of our cults are different types of cults. Um, but again, we're talking specifically about fringe. Uh, fringe religions that believe that send people into dangerous spots for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, like Heaven's uh, Gate. And, Heaven's Gate that try to beam Gate. up with vodka, you know, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so I was fascinated when I started all my research. I, I knew some of the big ones, obviously, uh, and obviously, and then there'd be a bunch of documentaries that I, I you know, I probably watched. My poor wife and I, we probably watched, you know, twelve, fifteen documentaries of various cults, and I read a bunch of oh, books. Oh wow! And I, I was very fascinated with the idea of cognitive dissonance. Now, um, cognitive dissonance, for those who don't know, uh, is that idea of believing something after it's been demonstrably proven false, such as flat earthers. Um, mm. This term came to us because of a study, and, uh, and I'm forgetting the link, right, the name of the book right now, but it's a 100-page study that was done in the, I want to say, 50s and, uh, by a university, mm. and they were, they were studying this at the time. And they happened to hear of a group of people who were quite occult, but they, they believed in flying saucers. And they <laughs> believed that fly, not only did they believe in flying saucers, because again, hey, aliens, that makes sense. It was, a big, it was the time for that. But one or two of their organizations, uh, one of the two of the members believed in auto writing, meaning they would hold a pen and what came out was the words of God. Uh, so they combined this <sighs> love of flying saucers with the idea that God had left the planet, gone to another planet, and he was writing to tell certain people they could come as well. And so this university heard about these people and got to implant three students, uh, three grad students into the organization. And it was only an organization, about 20 people. And so ultimately they found that um, they, they set a date. They set a date that the flying saucers would come, and these people did quit their jobs and took all the oh of their God. clothing and stood out on the road. And obviously, the flying saucers did not come. So they re- the, what the study proved was, or at least demonstrated with that group, was that anyone who stayed there for the moment, and then it didn't happen, and they, but they all stayed together, that group then rationalized it, meaning yeah. they said, oh, we're all together, which means we saved the world for another two years. Yeah. Like oh, my gosh. Of our faith. Right. Yeah. But if, if the, there were some members who instead went to be with their family um, and missed it, and those people, looking back, said, oh, that was stupid. How could I possibly have believed that? So without that affirmation of the group, they were able to go on with their lives. And so we see the same thing in politics. We see the same thing, uh, again, flat earth, 
climate change denial, um, anti-vaxxers, <laughs> uh, like all of the things where you're like, yeah, but science. Well, if, if 95% of scientists say something, why would you choose to go with the 5% that you found in YouTube videos? Um, yeah, it's weird. It, it, the it flat is. earthers. It is. The flat earth thing yeah. drives me bonkers because it just – it's like blatantly – just I, I it drives me bonkers. It just I, I don't understand that. Right. I mean so, I prefer, so I, I'm into the spaceship. I'm right. I'm into spaceships. That's cool. But it's not cool when you start going, you know, bringing the religion and spaceships together. That gets weird for me. But the um, <laughs> I mean the Mothman is cool. But you know, <laughs> but it is interesting about how you put this together and then you bring it into. You know, and your story is set in uh, like Coos, like Coos Bay area. Remember, Nancy? We went all through those tiny towns, mm-hmm. and I yes. think when <laughs> when authors do this in books and put it in those towns, because we drive. I mean, this is what we do every day. We're in another place almost, and you go through these towns, and sometimes you go through these towns, and you just have this like you know something's going to go down in that town someday, <laughs> or it already well, has, and you feel also it because. We also tend to, like, go investigate, like, the funny little bars. Like, there's mm-hmm. one place in Northern California where um, or when we checked into our, yes, in Oric, California, we checked into our hotel room. As soon as we opened the door, a black cat ran into our room. We're like, oh, this is fun. I like this. And, and then, the room has green astroturf as carpet. As carpet. I'm like, this is so funky. I know. It's like, ooh, and then we went into a bar, which kind of felt when you walked in, there was a sign that said something about if, if you, you don't use like toilet bloggers, paper, don't use yeah. toilet paper. Yeah. Or, and we're like, this is bizarre. And the longer we were in there, the weirder it got. I mean, then we started to get a little bit, okay, we obviously stick out like a sore thumb. We don't belong there. Not one of them. But it was interesting at one point, we were sitting at the bar, and there were empty seats, and then you felt like a half circle forming around you of people, and then you get a little like, I don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) It actually felt like Twin Peaks. It was like a Twin Peaks vibe. Yeah. It was weird. But I'd go again. (laughs) Yeah. So why Oregon? What did you go up there? I did. Uh, yes, I, I very much did. Oregon, um, is, like a lot of the Pacific Northwest, or state of flux. Um, right now, it, it's sort of a two worlds at this of um, nationalism and just beautiful, beautiful areas, plus industries like crabbing and logging um, that have been around forever uh, and are very traditional. Um, and then you have the high tech, uh, the high tech sector, uh, which is moving into Portland, obviously in Seattle and um, Silicon Valley, uh, and these, these extreme billionaires and, and uh, pockets of liberalism. So, Oregon has its own history of, of a white supremacy, um, which is founded as a white-only state, um, and then B, it has this this uh, "don't tread on me" attitude, a, a fair amount of it. I'm not generalizing for the people of Oregon because there are many things. But there are a fair amount of militias uh, in that area and, hmm. um, and, and patriot hmm. movements. And, you know, you see things um, <laughs> 10 years ago, 15 years 
know, I, I had a car that broke down all the time, and uh, my, it was a 1964 <laughs> Corvair, and it Uh-oh. broke down in the best of places. But it had broken down in Hollywood one night, and uh, <laughs> I was there at 6 in the morning to make sure I towed it before the parking meters came on. And a man dressed all in combat gear came out of a bar uh, with, like, a black duffel bag. Uh, and he he's like, oh, I can fix that for you. And I'm like, oh, no. Uh, and I went on this, this odd adventure with a man who – it was very much that the, the con of, like, hey, I just need $5 because I lost my driver's license and I need to call – you know, it started with that. But then it was like, I can help you fix your car, which was a very rare car. So uh, he ended up – in the tow truck with me driving down to Koreatown and uh, oh, no. she turned out to be pretty anti-Semitic and our tow truck driver was Israeli and he didn't mind oh, the and, and I'm sitting in the middle of these two men while they're fighting. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know this guy. Um, but he did invite me to his compound in Oregon um, <laughs> where, where he and his brother Patriots lived off the land and didn't need the government. Um, and so mm-hmm. that, that obviously was a that I've been interested in for as, like, as a story idea. I'm not interested in. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, I went up to Coos, uh, Coos County, which is a co- southern coastal Oregon county, um, and it, it, it is one of the larger metropolitan areas uh, of Oregon, including um, Coos Bay and North Bend. Um, and, and mm. you know, it, it's known for Bandon, it's known for PGA golf and, and wonderful dunes and, and all kinds of stuff. And it was a wonderful place. I had a great time, and I was surprised by the amount of sushi restaurants and, and stuff that I wouldn't normally associate. But I did go get lost in the woods, and um, <laughs> uh, to a point where, you know, just like, oh, no one could ever, no one would ever see me again. I'm like, I was trying to drive to the tallest Douglas fir tree um, up these snowy roads in this rental truck, and uh, my GPS stopped, and I realized I hadn't passed anyone for half hour. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, it was that thing of like, oh, no, this is how those stories of how someone just goes off the grid starts. Like, why are you still going? Stop. It's just a treat. Um, so I, I really like the rawness mm. of the area as well as just where it is socially right now. Um, it's sort of – it is between two worlds. And then there, you know, 90% of the state is in that nice, comfortable middle where you don't find these extremes. But uh, it definitely opens itself up for people who want to get away and think that they're right. And, and, and unless their opinions all of a sudden, you know, combat each other. And in, in the case of my story, um, the cult that uh, Caitlin Bergman's mother has been a member of um, has become uh, pretty much um, female only at this point. Um, and mm. a local 13 year old has run away, supposedly to join them. Her father happens to be. Um, abusive and a founder of a small vert pocket of a white supremacist organization. Mm, so those yeah. two worlds, uh, you know, and the town is stuck in the middle. Um, so the town, uh, so so that becomes sort of my way of these two types of families fighting for each other. And, and I think it's easy for, for. Go ahead, Lisa. Sorry. Go ahead, Nancy. You, you're reading the book. I'm. I'm just. I, I want to okay, talk about. But I think you do your thing. I think it's easy for young people especially teenage years to to fall into strange things like that i think it's a lot easier than people might think um if especially yeah. if you have abusive parents whether it be both of them or the mother or the father 
if you, because those are your guiding lights when you're growing up, and if they're messed up, then how can a child not be like it's like being set out and see and fend for yourself and good luck to you, you know? Then the secondary people who come in would be maybe maybe extended family, but most of them usually bail, um, or mm-hmm. your teachers. So it kind of falls to teachers who are so busy and have too many students in the classroom, but they do notice when a, a, a teen is kind of been thrown into the ocean to take care of themselves. And so you're busy surviving. How do you um, uh, not fall into trouble like that or gangs? You know, it's almost the same setup. There's always a bully. It, there's always the bully, and a cult leader is a bully. Mm. Yeah, right. But they're all they're also and they're also a general. Like from the other side of it, they're also. I mean, you mentioned gangs, and that's a perfect example of, of, of a cult. Yeah. I mean, gangs yeah. give people identity when they have none. They they give people protection and, exactly. and belonging. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it's it's when the leaders you know know that they're willing, willfully manipulating their followers that they become mm-hmm. bad things. And human trafficking and what you see now with the, the youth in this country, we've done a number of shows on human trafficking, and it's scary. If if a child is a special needs kid um, or maybe has autism or something like that or just is disabled, goes to school, they'll have like the hip kid go, oh, come over, you know, after school, come over, we'll take you, come over to my house, and they'll think, oh, that's cool, and not really understand what's going on, get over there, and they drug the kid, and the kid immediately is trafficked and sexually used, you know, so they get the kid hooked on drugs, and they're, Mm -hmm. like, locked up in a basement and used for sex. I mean, that is happening in our country on a rampant level, you know, and it's a it's a scary, scary thing when you really read the numbers and the stats of what's going on and see that it's happening. Like Napa is one of the top places. Sonoma County is one of the top places in the country for it. And it's a very chilling thing to me. And I think they prey on, you know, young girls that maybe don't, you know, and I look at what society has done to young women uh, you know, that it's like, oh, you've got to look this way. This is what the models look like. And, you know, you look at all the Kim Kardashians out there, and I can't say that. I mean, it's like they, they are already programming our young girls to look like want to be that way. And if and then they don't have the confidence, and they end up in trouble in cults, gangs, trafficked, all of that, because they will easily fall into that, especially if the parents are not around, you know. So well, how yeah, does it feel but, being a new parent? <laughs> I just have to talk about <laughs> well, that. Well, I mean, that, that was definitely, um, I mean, uh, I am older uh, to start a family. I'm uh, 45 currently. Um, and so um, it's it's an exciting time to bring a child into the world. Um, there's mm-hmm. plenty to worry about, that is for sure. Yeah. And um, we happen to be currently lucky right now to have jobs and health insurance and uh, a place, to, a safe place to live. And um, Cool. We, that that is part of uh, part of the story. Uh, Caitlin's character, though established in the first book, uh, this book does stand alone. Um, Caitlin was raised by a, a single father, an adoptive single father. I, he, he was married when he adopted her, but that did not last. And um, 
he uh, he was an LAPD officer. Um, so she has a, a very unique uh, youth, um, which which does involve the strength of teachers. It does involve college professors who look out for mm-hmm. her, and and she sort of walks a similar to life to what her her mother, birth mother, had walked. And so a lot of this book is her sort of finally getting to confront the woman she's been mad at forever for giving her up. And of mm-hmm. course, it is, she learns right away that, you know, this is uh, not being a parent herself. She remembers that sometimes people aren't great parents. Uh, some, some of the best parents in the world are adoptive parents. Um, but some, some people are just biologically capable of making children. That doesn't mean they necessarily should raise them. Um, exactly. And so uh, a lot of the book is Caitlin exploring this and reframing the way she's looked at her whole life. Um, as well as um, she, she's also mentoring um, mentoring um, a, a young journalist who has just moved to Los Angeles. Hmm. So she, she kind of explores a, a motherhood of her own as she builds her own family um, by the people hmm. she chooses. I think Ooh. too that kids, when you're a child, you you tend to I mean center on yourself and think that you caused everything. Like you're either to blame for everything or you caused everything to happen. It's like when you first stand up, you're like, hey, look at me. And you push something (laughs) over, you're like, look what I just did. You know, you got that. So (laughs) you, you feel when something happens that you had something to do with it, even if you didn't. And it's easy to make a child feel guilty for something they have nothing to do with which I think is part of a cult personality. The leader of a cult has that ability to be really, yeah, to draw people in and then discipline them, you know? Yeah. So they, yeah. Yeah. Again, we see the same, like you said, like the white person, I knew these people, something they've made them feel bad even know that they were supposed to feel bad for so mm-hmm. um yeah it's a it's a it's a hey we live in a dark world um hopefully this story brings uh some redemption uh and 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 portrays these not as you know mustache twirling people but um people you might <laughs> recognize sadly from your life um you know and, and you know a bit of there but for the grace of god go i um you know caitlin could yeah. have been her mother had she taken other turns so, Caitlin, where did she come from? You know, because that, it's always interesting when a man writes about a woman, you know, yes. writes the, the, the writes main the character. character. I just don't like the word protagonist. I feel like you have to go to the doctor <laughs> and bend over. I'm sorry. That's just saying. <laughs> you know, I just don't like the word. I, it's, it's not not my favorite at all, but um, though That's it is fair. kind of funny. But um, <laughs> your main character being a woman and writing from a woman's perspective, it's always interesting because we're seeing more and more yeah. men doing it. And I think it's pretty cool because I think it's, you know, another step towards, you know, different genders learning more about each other. Well, yeah, I think that's really part of it. I um, Obviously, there, there's the own voices argument um, that says, you know, only people who lived a certain life can truthfully tell a story. And I, I do believe that there are certain people you'll never win over. So um, I don't try to create, you know, I don't try to talk about the entire female uh, experience. I don't try to, um, I don't try to speak for anyone. Uh, I will say that. Uh, Caitlin Bergman began as a supporting character in a, in the first novel I ever wrote, which was based on a screenplay 
Um, and she was about 25% of the novel. She was, she was the moral compass of, a, of an ex, you know, a hard-boiled ex-cop uh, who had been dirty as he brought his, as she helped guide him back to the love. And what I realized um, was that she was just a much stronger character. She was more fun. She had her own dark spots, but she was just more, she was just somebody I wanted to hang out with a lot more and some people identified with a lot more. And so um, she became, uh, and then when it came time to tell Come and Get Me, the the first novel in the series, um, I wanted to, I was very angry and helpless and felt helpless about uh, sexual assault on college campuses. Uh, Mm -hmm. In particular, the college where I had graduated from, Indiana University, uh, as well as they had had, they have uh, at least one unsolved disappearance. Um, And so that book was was my anger uh, and, uh, you know, and and my try to make sense of out of a horrible situation. And and in that book in particular, again, because I I very much take this responsibility of writing from a female uh, point of view, at least for those chapters, um, and, and a huge responsibility for that first book, I went out to over 20 beta readers, meaning people who read the book before I even submit it to my agent or a publisher. And of those, um, of those, I think 25 total, 20 were women. And then I made sure to have people in their 70s, 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, and 20s read it. Um, because oh, cool. I, as well as uh, people of color and um, mm-hmm. um, sexual orientation, various sexual orientations, only because I didn't want to sound unreal. I didn't want to step places I couldn't step. I didn't want to handle things uh, inappropriately. And um, mm-hmm. I took that as a huge responsibility. And uh, I, you know, um, again, you'll never reach everybody. But um, no. But I, I, I do, I, I, Caitlin may not be the only character I write forever, but she's a very strong one. For she, She's a combination of four women I know and one man uh, sort of all put together. And, um, and uh, as a journalist, I'm a big fan of journalism. Um, mm. and even if it's, uh, you know, credibility seems to be called into doubt as of late. I think uh, the journalism is, is one of the noble professions of our, of our lifetime. That is Hell the pursuit, yes. of, the pursuit <laughs> of, and, and presentation of, of truths uh, with, that allow the reader or viewer to make their own informed decisions. I think so you're Caitlin handling a lot of that. topics, you know, doing it from <laughs> Caitlin's perspective, but also you're handling a lot of topics that are important. You're giving a lot of awareness, you know, even talking about the first book is it's an, an awareness. And I think, you know, when um, you look at journalism, journalism has been, it's being bashed on a daily basis, just like science. And mm-hmm. that's, what's important about what's going, what you're writing about and, you know, the cults and the white supremacy, which is going on. I mean, you were talking about, you know, Coos County and all that. I mean, look at Oregon with the, the standoff at the National Wildlife Refuge that happened not too long ago with those guys, yeah. like, taking over the refuge. You know, so it's kind of, you know, this country has a lot of growth to do still and a lot of change that needs positive change that has to be made. And I know I'm going to get emails about it, but it's true. And And I think journalism is important, and it's getting – it's it's a really hard road for the, for journalists and they do not. Um, I, 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 I hate it when, when people in just people and so-called leaders and politicians 
um, <laughs> abuse Uh-oh. journalists all the time, and it's wrong mm-hmm. because they don't get the credit they deserve. They don't get – they don't make the money the politicians make. None of us make the money <laughs> right. the politicians make, not even – you know, high-end musicians and actors. I mean, the, the politicians are who who makes everything now. And I'm, I think journalists, journalists, um, they are. If you're going to talk about public servants, they are. They're important. They are, and they, there are even in journalism, as we know, there are the the fringe elements of those as well. There are people who push yeah. yeah. too far to each side. Um, and but yes, I. I, I'm, I'm, I also take writing that as a, as a responsibility. I have a friend who's very much an investigative journalist, and I defer to him for a, a lot of my research. And uh, a lot of this is also um, paths I didn't take. Uh, that is, I, I, there was part of me that studied journalism in school and, and very much was going to go into it and then didn't care for all the aspects of it. And then there was a, another part of me that was going to join the police uh, in my late 20s in Los mm. Angeles and then chose not to after a fair amount of research, nothing against those people. Um, but uh, so, so a lot of these characters are built on paths I didn't take and uh, and things I want to explore and talk about. And I'll just say, the books don't, I don't think they're over the head preachy in any way. And I don't think you need to be on one side of politics to enjoy either of my books so far. Um, but hopefully mm. they do speak of the time and um, they do present the character who goes through a real range of human emotions and has changed at the end. I mean, these aren't going to be, you know, the, the Caitlin books, they, they may not be 20 of them, you know, I mean, if there are, that's a wonderful problem. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's very hard to find a, a, a person who can go through huge, horrible traumas multiple times in their lives and, and come out. Okay. It's still come out the hero of a book. So, yeah. Um, so my goal is to just keep telling realistic stories, uh, even in a fun, um, thrilling way, uh, as you know, as the reader desires. Now, I want to ask because I know you do screenwriting, which I think is interesting. <laughs> going into ask. writing novels <laughs> from screenwriting because there's like you have to move faster, like you have to. I think it, it, it's almost like it's a stronger point of editing something down to the nitty gritty, which I think is an interesting process. But then you're also in improv comedy and you're also an actor. And I think so you're understanding characters in a very strong way by that. But I think improv comedy mm-hmm. doesn't that kind of isn't that almost like chewing gum for the brain where it makes you stretch. It's, a, it's like an elasticity that makes you go where go boldly where no others will or whatever. No, <laughs> no. no you're right. Um, I, I, it's, it's a lot like playing in a band. Uh, and it's specifically a lot like playing jazz. Uh, that is, yeah. with improv comedy, unlike just sitting and writing a book, I mean, you're working with other people and you don't have any idea what's going to happen. So that, that give and take and that dealing with the moment, I mean, you know, not to nerd out too much, but I can apply that to an overall life view as well. It's that ability to take what comes, adjust to it in a positive way and move forward. Um, so that, that has very much guides my writing. It very much guides my, uh, you know, um, my, my look on life. Honestly, I mean, who knows uh, when live theater will become a thing again uh, for that, these kinds of artists mm-hmm. and theaters. Um, they're obviously in very bad spots. I mean, a lot of improv and sketch comedy theaters are, are those kind of under 60 seat theaters that uh, are in small black boxes and, you know, rely on a nightclub type vibe. And 
and pretty much mm-hmm. any event right now for the next year uh, may not may not happen and probably shouldn't. Um, so it's it's a unique art form, um, but it's a fun collaborative uh, way of working. And so so can screenwriting be. Um, uh, so I came from I don't do as much screenwriting anymore. I still use it as a tool when I outline. Uh, like I'll write the screenplay of a book first before I write the book, um, just because I know that the story has to be able to, to distill into those beats and, and to get to get it um, in a nice, succinct way where it makes sense and, uh, and is predictable, at least for me, not for the reader necessarily. But I try to write with that, that speed, that need for economy speed, so that yeah. nothing is wasted. We try to use the whole buffalo, as they say. Awesome. So if if you were going to pick somebody to play Caitlin, um, an actress, um, the old time actress, at, new young actress, correct, whoever, huh? Be politically correct. It's actor. It's not an actress anymore. You got to be politically no. correct. <laughs> I beg your pardon. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I I purposely left Caitlin a little open. Um, I like the reader to fill in uh, Caitlin a lot. But uh, I think modern, right now Amy Adams, um, I, 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 mm. I'm horrible with names, so I'm, I'm going uh, name blank. But um, even Sandra Bullock, I mean, right now Caitlin's in her mid-40s. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of amazing mm-hmm. actors out there um, currently on, you know, shows. And um, there, there, there's a lot of potential. And there, there's, I, you know, I'm definitely of the type to be like, well, she could definitely be another type. If someone wants to reimagine the, the her backstory i'm fine with that like i um she's sort of a universal character and, and there's just a lot of um uh amazing uh, yeah and, and oddly enough I, I will say i did actually uh when i originally wrote her into the screenplay i wrote her as a part to a friend of mine and uh and that friend has passed but, but mm. anyway i still feel her voice when i write the curve so mm. oh wow that's wild um, yeah that's but it was, it was because, uh, as um, it was because maybe as someone without movie star good looks, she would never have the the potential to to play uh, uh, Caitlin Bergman, who's more of more of a next door friend sort of. Uh, she's not stunning. She's not, um, but she's not not stunning. But she she's very almost charactery, and so. Um, I just wanted I wanted someone with real depth that my friend mm. wasn't able to currently go out for for that kind of part. So mm. um, I guess mm. you know it's kind of like the world as you want to see it, and I wanted to see more of that type of realistic um, modern woman who um, has flaws but is also smarter than anyone I know. Mm. Hmm. Cool. Well, very cool. And everyone, oh, we, we got to get going time wise. Um, oh. Everyone, uh, oh, uh, sorry. Real quick, Nancy, go, go, go. Okay, <laughs> I want to pick the sheriff, Martin Sheen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there you cool. go. Yes, I'll take it. <laughs> go. Oh, Martin Sheen, is, he's, he's awesome. Everyone, yeah. August Norman, the new book is out uh, September 8th, 2020. Keep up with August at augustnorman.com. And, of course, go get the other novel right now and get ready for the September debut. Go, to, go get Come and Get Me. So go get it. <laughs> I will say uh, for the for the month leading up to September 8th, so from August, I believe, 9th to September 8th, Come and Get Me will be downpriced for e-readers for the one ninety nine. So I know, oh. you know it's pretty easy to cool. pick up a book on a Kindle for $1.99. I'll say that. Yeah, right cool. on. So go get it. Go get it. on. Uh, go, go play with Amazon. 
Go get it. So augustnorman.com, everybody, uh, thank you for joining us, August. It's been a pleasure. It's been really cool. Now I'm going to think about cults all night, and it's my turn to read your book. I know. I'm all into it, and now I want to geek out on documentaries, too. That's got to be, like, so cool doing the research, like, just, like, Dude, what were they thinking? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, research, yeah. research is cool. Living it, probably not. Thanks so much yeah. for having me. And uh, if we need to talk cults again, let me know. All okay. right. Anytime, cool. man. Let's talk about those flat earthers. Dudes, the <laughs> earth is round. Stop it. <laughs> All right. Take care, August. Thanks right, for thanks. joining us. Bye-bye. <laughs> I know.